Welcome to the Let's Eat Grandma Career Warrior Podcast. And welcome to the Let's Eat Grandma Career Warrior Podcast, where our goal is not only to help you land your dream job, but to help you live your best life. Today, we're going to talk about how to navigate the tough changes the right way. Yes, we're going to be talking about complete career changes, layoffs, and the types of transitions that often stress out job seekers. Because we want to make sure you are equipped with the right tools and the right mentality to carry you forward. Today, I brought on David Fano. David Fano is a serial entrepreneur, former WeWork executive, and ex-architect who has made it his mission to help people navigate their careers with confidence. His latest venture, Teal, helps people optimize their job search by providing the level of tooling and infrastructure that companies have, but for the individual professional. In just over a year, Teal has grown to a community of over 65,000 users committed to advancing their careers. So as you can see, this is going to be awesome. David is just the person for this episode, and we'll get deep here and dive into not only David's story, but some of his best tips here when it comes to transition. So I can't wait to get into it. Let's launch right into episode 269 of the Career Warrior Podcast. David, welcome to the show. We're so excited to have you. Hey, Chris. Thanks so much for having me. I'm super pumped for this conversation. Awesome. So you had a really solid story you shared on your LinkedIn the other day that I think primes this conversation well. So you shared in 2019 that you were at the end of your paternity leave at WeWork and as they were doing their first round of layoffs. So Teal was not a company yet, but you had organized this, I think it was a career day with resume reviews and networking opportunities and things like that. So I would love to hear more about that story and Really, what were some of the things that job seekers were feeling and going through at that time, I think would be a great way to open up. Yeah, it was a tricky time. I was at WeWork for a while and I was a big part of its growth and hiring a lot of people. You know, my team went from 400 people to four, like three, 4,000 people. I don't remember the exact number, but it was a lot. And I was also responsible for a part of the business that took some of the deepest cuts because if the company was scaling back its growth, which my team was growth, well, then they just weren't going to need a lot of these folks. And so I personally hired a lot of these people that were getting let go. And I just felt like an immense amount of responsibility to help these people bounce back. And, you know, having, I'm old, (laughs) I've seen some things and I've experienced some things. And, you know, there's some things we can do, because this is a moment in your life where it's kind of like shock. You're just like, what should I do? And for anyone that was ready to jump into action, I was like, all right, well, let me give you some tactics. You know, a lot of part of my career has been sort of distilling and sort of curating tactics to help people jump into action. And, And I said, let's do it. And we put together a half day, two half day we ran the same event twice because some people couldn't come. So but it was like we did a, a like nine to noon and then one to four. We got some incredible people to volunteer to come speak on some things on like how to gain career clarity in a moment like this. A bunch of uh, recruiters volunteered to review resumes. We did. We created some content on how to best structure your resume, things to look for, how to job search. And it was awesome. It wasn't like a career fair in the sense that there were employers there, but it was like, here's three hours of yes. condensed information on how to jump yeah. in action and some things you can start doing right now. That's fabulous. It sounds holistic because it's, you know, it's not all about the resume. As a lot of job seekers that come to our service, they're thinking it's all about the resume, but you have to get that clarity like like you talked about and where you're going next. And 
I think that's hard for a lot of job seekers, especially as they've been laid off or even people who decided this is just not what I want to do anymore. So in a second, I'd like to go into perhaps some of those tactics and things that we can give job seekers in order to help them to move on to the next thing. But let's just forget about all the, the logistics and things like that. What are some of the emotional challenges we deal with when we're being laid off? You know, it's, it's really complicated because our work, I'm not a big believer in work-life balance. Not in okay. the sense of that I have control and ownership of my time, but this idea that work and life are two discrete things. Okay. They're not. Like my work is part of who I am. And I think where people struggle with that is like my work is not my identity. In my opinion, that's up to you. That's because you've sort of abdicated your identity to your employer. But I am all those things that are on my resume. Those were parts of my life just as the degrees from the school I got, like that is etched in time. I was at these companies for a certain amount of my life and that's not gonna go away and I can control how I shape that. And what I can't control is how people think about those companies. And I think in a moment like that, especially a public layoff, it's complicated because you go from, especially in our situation, I'll talk about WeWork in particular because I was affected by this, even though I wasn't laid off. I mean, I can get into the details of that. I wasn't like explicitly laid off. My role was really diminished in a right. weird way, which felt sure. also very complicated. Did you feel like you had to make your own pivot in a sort of way because the responsibilities were different? Absolutely. Yeah, my role changed and I had to wrestle with some of these things. But all of us were affected by this company that, you know, the days, you know, a month before that was being seen as you know, the most valuable company in WeWork and all these like positive superlatives. Uh, sorry, the most positive company, the most valuable company in New York, you know, second most private, most valuable privately held company. You know, it was just like the darling of the discussion to then kind of the, you know, the laughing stock in a weird way. Right. It's this company that couldn't manage their money, which all those things were just great for headlines, but none of them are factually like to the letter true. Sure. But that's it. The narrative was out. Right. And so you have this situation from like your friends and you know, like family, not even knowing where you work because it's not one of like the five brands, household brands that we know to be like, oh, you work at that place that was in the news with that CEO that did that, that like all those funky headlines. Right. And it really starts to wear on your identity. Right. And this thing that was identity boosting now becomes like identity damaging. And that's hard to grapple with. Like, oh, shoot, does that mean like on my resume now people aren't going to hire me because I worked at this company? Are my friends going to like think I have bad judgment, like the way the news is saying about the leadership of the company? And so you've got to wrestle with that. It's like now it's embarrassing to tell people you work there. At least that's how it feels in the moment. Right. You know, and so those are all these like psychological things that you're going through. Then there's just like, if you haven't been laid off yet, am I going to get laid off? Are they going to do it all in one go? Is this going to be happening for weeks? Should I start job searching? Can I tell people? Should I start interviewing? Should I stick it out? I really believe in this mission. I think we can turn it around. It's just a lot to really process and think about in a moment like that. And then some people get into like paralysis analysis, like what should I do? Some people get hasty and want to take action right away. So it's really difficult to decide what to do when you're in a situation like that. Absolutely. And you're bringing me back. I've helped clients who have worked for some of the banks that ended up crashing during the Great Recession. And a lot of them came with this anxiety and this fear. Like, I worked for such and such bank. It's like, do I include this in my resume? Like, I don't yep. know if I want to be in this industry anymore. I don't know if I can be in this industry anymore. So it's just like anxiety layered on top of anxiety after that, which causes a lot of people to concern. So I really respect 
everything that you've done for the job seeker community, especially coming from that. That's why I was just especially amped to get you to come on the show because I think you're just case in point, a great example of how to help people to move on and move forward. So thank you for that. It's complicated. It's really tricky and people need a lot of help. So anyone out there trying to do this work, it's, it's really valuable work. Valuable. So this week, Teal produced a layoff playbook talking about what to do in case of a layoff. So what were some of the key messages that you think people would take away from this playbook? Perhaps we could delve into a couple of them, but I'd love to just uncover anything that people can do tactically if they were to deal with a layoff or some sort of quick change. I'll break it into kind of three stages, sort of like before where there's a lot of uncertainty and you don't know if you're going to be, but sometimes these things are in the news and you can get nervous. The kind of right after and then sort of once things have stabilized. So the before, look, I think we always need a little bit of a jolt for like career cleaning. And, you know, we all do it. You know, we make a folder on our desktop at work. We put some files in there before you know it. You're doing things. You're kind of using the computer for personal use. You're also, you know, you haven't really compiled any like successful project images or some key metrics or, you know, stats or you haven't downloaded your contacts. Like, and you just get caught off guard if you are one of the people that gets laid off. So I would say take yeah. a beat. It's uncomfortable to engage in the idea of like, I might get laid off. So that might be a reason to avoid it. But look, just ignore that. Like regardless, proactive, some like career TLC is a good thing. So, you know, sit like while you're there and you're fresh and you still have access to your coworkers, get some of those success metrics, get some of those achievements that you did, document some of those project wins, some data that's not don't take data from your employer, but like ask questions like, hey, what, you know, what was our success on this campaign? You know, how much revenue did we produce on that project that I worked on? So get some of those metrics that you can have with you that might be a little harder to get if, and look, you should be doing that on a monthly basis anyway, but just True. use this as a yeah. reminder to do that. You know, now a little more tactically, if you have personal information on the computer, take it off. There's a world where you get laid off and they take your computer and that's gone. And then it's like a whole, process with HR to get it right. You just filed your taxes. If you use your work computer for it, they're on there. Like just clean that stuff off. Don't get in a good habit in the habit of doing that, but take this as a moment to do that. Clean those things up. And then other things that are yours, you know, if you've made some good contacts along the way, you know, export those from your work email, just people that you want to stay in touch with. It's a little harder to get those, you know, go and connect with people on LinkedIn. So you have control of that relationship. And so those are things that I would do just regardless, right? No matter what, whether you think your company's getting laid off or not, you should do that. And just take this as a moment, as a reminder to do that. Now, the next thing is if, if you are unfortunately part of the layoff, there's a bunch of stuff that are very tactical in the playbook that you can read around severance and 401k rollover and things and unemployment. But I would say more so is work gives us routine. And I think we really do benefit from routine. For sure. Sometimes we resent sure. those routines, but once you get unemployed, routine's gone, right? You don't have these like external forcing functions. Like I got to get to work on time. I got to be on this Zoom. And now you are, you have complete control of your time in a weird way that you were just like not used to. And you have this kind of like paradox of choice. And so look for some routines, look for some things, look for some of these like tethering aspects of your life, right? So maybe join a Slack community of peers or functionally, you know, if you're part of a, a big layoff, maybe, you know, take the initiative and create that Slack community for you and your colleagues so you can help keep yourself accountable and be accountability buddies and, and things like that. Because, you know, whether your company uses Slack, Microsoft Teams, or who knows what, try to find some of these things that are familiar, 
you know, give you that sense of work and activity, but that you're in control of it. And it's not that, the, you know, the company gave you that. And so I think those are things that look for some grounding routines and activities that can help you feel like you're back on track because the vastness of things you could possibly do those next few days is like, yeah. do I work on my resume? Do I start applying to jobs? Do I start networking? Do I start like, and so look for some of these, I would call like tethering activities. I was going to add on that, like I felt the same thing. I mean, not even, this isn't even from a layoff experience, but having went to just start my own company, going from having that structure that I had while working for a company and then going off on my own, I was like, I'm my own boss. I feel like I can do pretty much whatever I want. And I felt the ultimate freedom yet at the same time, not having that structure kind of messed me up in a way during the first, I think, few months. And I was like, the inconsistency, I think, definitely was adding on to some of the stress. So I'd echo into what you were saying and that it really helps you out a lot. Just my morning routine, my wind down routine and things like that are two of the things that really hold me together during the tough times. Yeah, 100%. So find those for you, for yourself. And then, you know, more tactically, once you're ready to jump back into it, take the time to get prepared. I think another mistake that I see people make is they just jump into it to feel like they're being productive. I'm just gonna set a goal. I'm just gonna apply to five jobs a day and just go, 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 go. And the goaling and things like that are good, but I would say be deliberate. Be deliberate and be clear on what you want to achieve. Because what I see a lot of people do is they're just gonna make this, you know, this resume that's this like perfect thing. But the truth is the resume is iterative. It's not a thing you make one time and you don't go back and change it but get clear, set an intention. I wanna have these kinds of roles at these kinds of companies, narrow down the possibilities. I think it's very counterintuitive advice, is like, I'm gonna go present myself as the broadest possible to the widest range of companies, because that really opens the aperture. That opens up anybody who could hire me, and that opens all the, and the truth is actually, that has inverse effect, right? Because now you don't have focus, and so take that, I say, go slow to go fast. Take a little bit of time to get clear and set an intention. Go slow to go fast. We have to repeat that a few times for listeners, I think. But I want to pause and just riff on that for a little bit because I think whether or not you're laid off, we have, you know, I'm sure, a lot of career changers listening to this podcast or people who are going to quit, stop, and need to take inventory of where they want to go next. So regardless of the layoff or not, can you tell me how do I figure out where I want to go next, which seems to be such a tough thing to grapple with as a job seeker, because as a job seeker, we can often say, I know what I don't want. You know, I know I don't want a job that, you know, ends up not treating me well or a company culture that it's, you know, not diverse or et cetera, things like that. Mm -hmm. But we know what we're running away from, but how do we figure out what we're running towards? Yeah. So the first thing I tell people when they embark on that is, go into this process understanding that it's not forever, right? Like you will have another job and you'll probably have another career path. You're gonna try other things. The world is just changing too fast. New occupations that excite you more than what you pick that don't exist yet will present themselves. So take some pressure off this decision needing to be perfect. So I think that's a big blocker for people. The amount of pressure they put on this decision is you can iterate. You did it this time, you can do it again. So first, get into a headspace of, this is not etched in stone. It's not a forever decision that I'm making. Once you get there, then you give yourself permission to get in a little bit more of a testing iterative mindset. Start to think about the times in your life that you had complete and total agency and control of your time and how you chose to use it. So examples are electives in school, weekend hobbies, 
the movies you choose to watch, the books you choose to read, the tutorials you tend to, you know, the side projects you take on, these times that you have agency, not because you had to do it, because you wanted to do it, where your actions, you can learn from the actions you took. Yeah. Because I think we trick ourselves, right? Like the example I use is I always say, like, I want to learn how to code. I've been saying that for 20 years and I still don't know how to code. So you know what? That's like a perceived interest, not a genuine interest. <laughs> right. It's been this thing you've been running in your head. Yeah. I did like hunker down and spend some action time doing that like a couple of weeks ago. But like, you know, what was your genuine interest versus perceived interest? Then the next thing you need to do is decide, is this a way I want to make money? Or is this one of the ways that I give myself a release from thinking about ways to make money? And the distinction I think about is a professional passion and a personal passion. There's a lot of debate out there around using the word passion. I agree with it. I think our passions kind of find us, but let's just use that as a proxy for activities that I really enjoy doing. Now, do I want those activities to have the pressure of needing to produce money? Or are those activities a mental and psychological release from the reality of needing to make money? And you know, the example I use is yoga, right? Because a lot of people use yoga as a hobby. They get incredibly passionate about it. They go on retreats all over the world for it. Some people then say, I wanna become a yoga instructor. I wanna teach yoga. Now that activity that was a personal passion has now become a professional passion. Right now it has the pressure of making money. Now it has a sense of obligation that it didn't have before, right? I need to keep doing it. And that's okay. Some people find those two things to have a Venn diagram that's got 100% overlap and that's awesome. I would argue that if they find other personal passions to start to infill and become that release, whatever that might be. I mean, we, you might call those hobbies and maybe once it's a hobby, you know, so let's not get hung up on the words, but identify those things that you are comfortable being the thing that is gonna be responsible for making you money. Then I want you hone in on those. Say, okay, cool. Now let me go start to look for those jobs. You know, and then you got to understand, like, do you have those skills already? Do you need to go acquire those skills? What are the various ways you can do that? There may be skills. You're, are they, do I have skills that were applicable in a different context? You know, when I could, I always plan my friends' events. I loved it. I always do it. Whenever my friends are running an event, this is not the case for me, but more hypothetical. I'm always the first one to like volunteer to plan an event. Oh, maybe I could event plan. And I don't have that on my resume but I could do some things that help me structure that into a way that it's like a skill and a hard skill. And now I'm gonna go try to find some career paths that enable me to do that, whether it's events marketing, being an events planner, being corporate events, what are all the various ways that I can instantiate these skills that charge me up and get money? Right, and so that makes sense. And I think one of the misconceptions on choosing where you wanna go in your career is just this idea of passion. and. There was even a, I don't know if this is an article or a blog or a book or something like that called, it's like, don't follow your passions or how following your passions are one of the biggest mistakes you can make. I think this might've been Cal Newport. I think people just get it the wrong way because you have to at least care about where you're going to some degree and want to do it because that's where you're going to be spending all of your time. And so, you know, if you're listening to this podcast right now, we're not recommending, we're not saying, okay, you know, I love playing basketball. So therefore, I need to go out and become an NBA player because there's like a 0.0 whatever chance of me making it. Or in my example, I love making music and me thinking that I'm going to quit my job right now and start making streaming money on Spotify, which I calculated it would take me 1.3 million streams per month, which I don't think I could 
pull off, but we're not recommending that. And that's something I think that we talked about last time, David, was the fact that you can still be around that space and still in it. It doesn't mean you have to be physically performing the thing that you may love right now that you think directly translates over. So would you agree with that? Does that, is that making sense? Yeah. And the way I think about it is like task and domain, right? Because you do a task and you do it in a domain. Those two things could be highly connected, right? So the domain is music, the task is playing guitar, right? But you could also, in your case, like make it a point to, you know, specialize in helping musicians transition into tech, right? In your exact case of like being a resume writer. And it's like, I love this because I understand that passion and I, like, I'm not in it right now, but I get to be in that domain. I have, I bring a unique lens because I care about this topic and I can connect with these people in a different way that someone that doesn't have this passion for this domain of music. And so figure out a way to thread that needle to incorporate the right amounts of that, but then preserve the parts that you don't want to have that pressure of making money. Right? Maybe you don't want that pressure of having to produce so much music and these hits. It it's like, no, it's actually it. not what I'm after, you know? <laughs> right, right, right. That'd be too much for me. So another thing we talked about last time was personality assessments. I'd love to get your take on that. If you think they're worth it, what are some... What are some of the things about personality assessments I guess I should be looking for to help me out? Yeah, so I think also like in this moment of like getting clear of what I wanna do is really being clear on who you are and in what environments and in what situations you get charged up and you get drained because our work absolutely is gonna put us in those environments. You know, a simple attribute that I think we can all self-identify fairly well, not everyone, but is am I introverted or am I extroverted? Some people refuse, like, I'm both. Okay, fine, you do you. You know, I think it's at the very least 51%, 49%. But I tell people that. It's like, look, just decide. Fine, you think they're pretty equal. Which one's 51%, which one's 49%? And focus on that self-awareness and those situations in which you are energized, like disproportionately energized, and those situations in which you're disproportionately drained, right? And so that doesn't mean don't do those things but be prepared to equip yourself with tools to counteract, right? Because, you know, there are folks like Marcus Buckingham that say, play to your strengths. Figure out what your strengths are, figure out what those natural things are that charge you up and do those because you are advantaged over the person who doesn't enjoy doing it and is naturally drained, but that doesn't mean you have to do that. That's just a belief. I tend to agree with him, but look, if you're the most introverted person on the planet, but for some reason Mm -hmm. you are, totally enthralled by outbound sales calling, all right, well, let's figure it out, right? You, you end up drained and super exhausted by the end of the day. Okay, incorporate 10-minute meditations every two hours or something, like figure out the tools for you. I don't think there's anything anyone can't do. And if you wanna figure out a way, but just be aware that certain activities are gonna be fairly connected to the role, yeah. not always, are gonna have an effect on me. Right. It's about not putting yourself in a box and not being able to stay, just having to stay inside that box. I think it's so limiting for people. So thank you for saying that. I think that's good. So I have to ask because one time I was presented with a resume, getting on the topic of layoffs. One time I was presented with a resume that ended up showing every single position that this individual was laid off from. I told her that was a little bit too much. I said that, you know, we don't need to call too much attention to something like that. But when I think about how job seekers should be presenting themselves, whether they're going through a layoff or just a career change completely, how should we present ourselves in the resume or perhaps even the interview? A lot of people want like 
checklist of things. They want yes, no answers to these things, right? It's like, do this. And so the way I like to address these is let's take it to intention, right? Like my goal is to get hired. Let's be realistic about how we're going to do that. And let's be realistic about that situation. At the end of the day, a job search is a sales process. I'm the service provider and the employer is the customer. I am selling services. I want to be paid for these things that I do. And it is your job to make that person confident in your ability to deliver on what they're seeking. So, and what I mean by that is put everything on the paper that betters your chances. Included in that is things that you're confident about. So, you know, if it makes you anxious and uncomfortable that you feel like you're kind of lying or obfuscating part of your past, well, that's not great because that's going to come through in the resume, right? But know that on the other side of that resume is a person who is looking for all the reasons not to hire you, right? Like not in a negative way, but that's the concern, right? Ultimately, I think what people forget, and this is part of what, what makes it so personal, is that it's not about you when you get rejected. It's not about you. Look, there is bias in hiring. There's all these other things. So, and so I don't want to trivialize those. But ultimately, in like a very logical way, what those things are informing, incorrect or not, is the impact of that decision on that person's career, right? So I am going to hire. I am the hiring manager. I am the recruiter. My success is based on the team that I build and my activity and how the company is better as a result of it. I believe that hiring you is not going to help the company succeed. I'm not going to hire you. So it's a very personal decision in that sense of like, for me and how I think it affects my career. Like hiring you affects that person's career. It affects that hiring manager's career. It affects that recruiter's career because if you don't work out and that recruiter has a few hires in a row where the people don't work out and they get let go, well, now I'm going to lose my job because I don't hire well. Now, they were probably poorly managed. Who knows what, right? But it's really around risk prevention. And so the thought process you need to bring in is, what is this document that I'm going to put in front of this person mm -hmm. that has them believe that by hiring me, they will succeed? They are going to go, if I'm a recruiter, I'm going to go take this resume to a hiring manager and say, look, Chris is great. And they're not going to ask me some question of like, what's all this stuff? Because they're going to assume I vetted all that. So all that's to say is like, what are you going to put on the paper that makes it easy for that person to advocate for you? So I don't think that leads to like being disingenuous. Unfortunately, people are, there is judgment. People are going to make assumptions on what's on the paper. So yeah, if you've shown that you've only been at jobs for three months, you know, five or six in a row, like the logical thing that the person would say, well, that person's probably not going to last year. And there might've been a lot of circumstances that resulted in that. So the control your narrative is what I would tell people, like control yeah. your narrative and have opinions. Think about how someone would sell your resume to someone else. Yeah. Right. Because oftentimes hiring is not single person activity. It's actually multiple people. So envision like teaching someone how to pitch you and how this document helps them. That's the great golden rule that I think if I could instill that within every job seeker it would be that it's like think from the perspective of the person who's looking at your resume or actually interviewing you because they need to look good for their company or their company needs to produce results, whatever it is. So you do take a lot of the pressure off by saying that, I think, because, you know, there's all of these rules of thumb that we give in the career space, like, oh, your resume has to be exactly one page or it has to be no longer than, you know, things like that. I think if we all followed that golden rule, then all of these answers would just, they would naturally answer themselves. So I think that's great. 
that's what it's like. Use your judgment. Everyone wants this like checklist. It's like, but use your judgment, right? It's not about yeah. it being one page or two pages. Like what I tell people is like, look, I promise you, if you don't catch their attention on the first page, how many pages you have is irrelevant because people read page one first. You know? mm -hmm. So yeah. <laughs> just like when you're Googling something, the first page matters the most. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, just be, don't like, look back to yourself. What do you do when you're going to buy something? You do research when you're hiring, you do reviews. Why would it be any different when someone else is trying to do that? So just think about it, like take the emotion out. The first thing they're going to look at is the top third of the page. Like if you think a professional summary helps you stand out in the top third, awesome. If you think it's a bunch of bulleted words with skills, awesome. What gets them to read the next two thirds of the page? And then after that, what's going to get them to turn the page? And so just think about that. How am I going to get this person hooked? And what am I doing to get them to believe? Look, if I have to read 10 pages, well, look, if I made it all the way to page 10, the resume must be amazing. Because like, why would I keep going? You know, the truth is you probably would have lost me by page two because you're just filling it with a bunch of unnecessary stuff. David, you've been a fantastic guest. I can't thank you enough for coming here on the podcast. Seriously, thank you. I just got to get your final closing thoughts for career warriors here. What is a message that if you could tattoo on every single arm of our career warriors, what message would that be? You know, it would be focus on the intentions, not the outcomes. And right, a lot of us set goals, like an empirical goal, right? I want to make this amount of money. I want to have this job title by this date. And I see a lot of people achieve those things and they're still unhappy. And so focus on the intentions, figure out ways to talk about like where you intend to be from an, you know, I want to be able to go on a vacation with my family, fly first class, like whatever, put whatever attributes you want on it as like an experiential intention and then work backwards from like, what are the things that your career needs to be, to do to help you deliver on that? What happens with focusing on the hard goals is then you focus on the tactic. You stay in like the solution space, and not the problem space. And so it's like, look, I could lower my cost of living. I could make more money. I could side hustle. I could do different things. It gives you control of how to approach it with multiple solutions. So that's kind of what I tell people. I was like, don't get too hung up on the title. Don't get too hung up on the amount of money. Focus on the intention. They're going to be part of the equation, but don't make it the primary. You're talking to the right person because for my whole life, I have spent way too much on the outcomes. And it's during those times, it really has eaten at me and it's caused me excess stress that I didn't need versus if I focused on the problem and just really the process, I think really would have helped me. Example of that, just like all my life, I'm like, oh, I'm going to bench this amount of weight. I'm going to squat this amount of weight. I'm going to be like this amount of pounds, cut this amount of fat. And I focused so much on that versus I just needed to look at eating healthy and doing the right things for my body, things like that. So Career warriors know that I love the gym analogies here, but I love that closing message. And I think it's something that a lot of us needed to hear. So thank you. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Chris. I feel super grateful to be able to share these ideas with your listeners. Perfect. You take care, David. Thanks so much for coming on the show. And I can't wait to be in touch. All right. Thanks, Chris. Listeners, this wraps up episode 269 of the Career Warrior podcast. We got deep into it. We talked about things such as changes, pivots, layoffs, the hard-hitting stuff. And a message I want all of you to take away from is that it's okay. It is going to be okay. And just having the right strategy and going slow to go fast, as we said earlier, not rushing into things is going to be something that's really important for you. So be patient with yourself. You don't have to make the perfect transition tomorrow and you're going to be all right. 
If you want to look at the resources that we mentioned during today's episode, you can check that out in the description of this podcast, whether you're listening on Spotify, Apple, or whatever platform. And of course, I will be in touch with you and we'll have our next episode released in two weeks from now. Warriors, thank you so much for tuning in today's episode. Can't wait to see you next time. Career Warrior Podcast. And before you go, remember, if you're not seeing the results you want in your job search, our highly trained team of professional resume writers here at Let's Eat Grandma can help. Head on over to letseatgrandma.com forward slash podcast to get a free resume critique and $70 off any one of our resume writing packages. We talk all the time on the show about the importance of being targeted in your job search. And with our unique writing process and focus on individual attention, you'll get a resume, cover letter, and LinkedIn profile that are highly customized and tailored to your goals to help you get hired faster. Again, head on over to letseatgrandma.com forward slash podcast. Thanks, and I'll see you next time. 